Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. We're nearing the end of Women's History Month here in Chicago, but there are still many things happening. There's history being made and lessons to be learned. And this weekend, we're working to get some perspectives on what women need, what they may be demanding, and what they're doing. And to guide us, we'll have the head of the Chicago Foundation for Women. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is Felicia Davis-Blakely. She's the president and CEO of the Chicago Foundation for Women and one of the leading voices for the equitable treatment of women, for women in the workplace, and for the recognition that women should be getting. The foundation invests in women, girls, transgender, and non-binary people. And since its founding in 1985, CFW has invested more than $45 million in various organizations. And in September 2021, it launched the SheCovery Initiative, a commitment to raise $11 million to identify and support equitable systems in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we could go on and on about uh, Felicia's uh, background and her qualifications and everything, but that would take up half the program. Felicia Davis-Blakely, welcome back. Craig, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Um, But let's... Talk of, here we are in uh, Women's History Month. Are we giving women enough of their due in this Women's History Month? <laughs> um, I will say no, because I, I don't think that women ever are receiving enough of their due. Um, and particularly at this moment, we find ourselves in this is an inflection point because a lot of policy, a lot of rhetoric in the air is actually anti-woman. Um, and from where I sit and from the work that we do every day at CFW, there is and continues to be um, a war on women's issues and, and, and also women. And so I welcome Women's History Month every day. But of course, women's history is every day in the work that I do at CFW. I welcome the opportunity, though, to have a month where we do try to focus and uplift the stories um, of women, and particularly those stories about marginalized women who um, are making tremendous change in our communities and who actually don't often um, get any limelight. And so I do appreciate this inflection point every year to be able to lift up some of those stories. Well, one of the uh, points at this time is uh, involved in our mayoral election. We are about to see Chicago's only second female mayor leave the job. And Lori Lightfoot, 
uh, is leaving after one term, just as the first female mayor, uh, Jane Byrne, did. Um, Alicia, what is it about the job and or the women or the system or what that seems to uh, keep women from having the same political longevity as men? So, Craig, let me tell you, I have been thinking a lot about this over the past few weeks. Um, I watched when when everyone watched um, in Chicago and, and actually around the world when the mayor conceded a few weeks ago after the election, she conceded a re-election race. And while, you know, she's um, a singular figure in many respects, watching her admit defeat, I felt this like haunting sense of deja vu and loss um, for a lot of the things that we just don't name. I mean, the moment had a very familiar feeling to me. It was like observing, you know, Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential race. It was, um, it was made me think about the tenure of Jane Byrne. And as you mentioned, incidentally, the only other female mayor in Chicago's history and the only other one-term mayor in the past 40 years. I think those things are pretty significant. Um, there's a lot of research that would suggest um, you know, the intersections of race and gender are really powerful, powerful things. Um, women are lose support a lot faster. They're not perform, allowed room to make mistakes. And whether or not you want to agree with um, Mayor Lightfoot's, you know, policies and, and, and um, she was dealt in a set of circumstances unlike any other mayor. And so I do think that this we should own and Chicago should really deal with this. We should tackle the problem that we have, um, the bias problem that we have still on women's leadership. And women should be afforded the same opportunity to make mistakes and grow, just like other leaders um, in Chicago and like the other male mayor leaders in Chicago. And she didn't have that room. And to not make too many connections between uh, Lori Lightfoot and Jane Byrne, but in each case, uh, the mayor's, a lot of attention was paid to temperament. Uh, a lot of public attention was made to temperament. Uh, Jane Byrne, uh, uh, I won't say earned, but was uh, saddled with a, a nickname of Calamity Jane uh, while she was uh, in office. Um, and it seems to me that men are that there's a double standard that when men are seen as uh, you know perhaps volatile or uh, aggressive, that's a positive. And when women are seen that way, it's it's a negative. And does that I mean, how do you get past that? Yeah, that was one of the things that really stuck out to me during her term was the way she was criticized. So. Um, she was critiqued by people across the political spectrum for being too brash, outspoken, um, combative. Um, I have seen those same qualities in male mayors of Chicago. Um, and in fact, you know, there's a research from Georgia State University that notes that women mayors are not criticized um, in the same way as male male leaders. And so the experience that we've seen, um, played itself out in Chicago um, is is a point of research as well. And so what we need to do 
is we need to call it out. And it happens all the time. It happened during the presidential uh, race. It happened when there were lots of women candidates before the ultimate um um, before Biden and, 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 and Harris became president and vice president, but there are lots of women in, in that race. And they were all, including Vice President Harris, they were all cascade, like cast, you know, uh, the same uh, critique. They were critiqued in similar ways is what I'm trying to say. And so we do need to address that um, in Chicago and to be more uh, fair and equitable. Uh, we can hold people accountable. I absolutely want um, tremendous leadership. I love this city, but we can hold people accountable and we can critique them in a way that really matters um, and stick to substance and not style. And now as, as someone who's covered the, uh, the, the, the mayor's turn, I will also say that uh, in, in both cases, uh, we can't pretend that the, the mayors were perfect either. Uh, and uh, Yes, some of the some of the mayor's supporters, some mayor Lightfoot supporters who were strong supporters, ended up not being supporters at the end, and that may be another problem. But like you said, mayors make mistakes, and maybe women don't get the chance to recover from them the same way men might. Uh, but anyway, let's let's move on because the uh, the foundation for women is a part of women's history in this city. Uh, Thirty eight years in operation. Uh, can just remind people a little bit about this, this very significant things that the foundation does and whom it affects. Absolutely. Chicago Foundation for Women um, is at our heart a community foundation. We are a grant maker. We raise money every day to provide support and resources to organizations that are serving women and girls, helping women and girls, um, trans and non-binary people across our region. Our issue areas are economic security and upward mobility, freedom from violence, um, gender-based violence, as well as um, access to healthcare and healthcare um, health and healthcare information. And that includes um, access to the full range of reproductive healthcare services. Um, we, this past year, gave um, $3.6 million in grants. And so, we're pacing ourselves to do the same um, grant making this year, maybe a little bit slightly higher. We support women's leadership. We host women's leadership development programs. And later this month, we have an exciting um, an event, our Impact Awards, um, where seven women will be getting awards for their service in the community. And this was all a community-driven process. So I love the fact that we really um, are a partner and um, really see our role as um, amplifying the work of others in our communities. And uh, I, I, I was going to get to the uh, banquet but I but later, but I do want to talk about it now. Um, what are the kind, if, if, if you're not able to tell us who, unless, you know, if, if it's a secret at this point, understandable, but can you tell us the kinds of things that will bring women into this kind of attention and to be rewarded and held up? Well, I, I can tell you who, because it's public, um, and we're really excited about these leaders. Um, uh, there's a young woman, she's um, she's under 20, actually, Azaria Baker, um, with the or organization A Long Walk Home. She's receiving um, an award as being um, um, kind of a trailblazer, um, the work that she does to help um, young um, Black women and Black women generally 
um, at a long walk home from restorative practices, social justice issues is really amazing. Um, Melanie Kanu is the executive director of Refugee One. They help to settle families um, who have been displaced, um, a number of refugees from Syria and, and, and lots of other places. Um, Beatrice Burgos uh, runs a shelter, um, Connections for Abused Women and Their Children. Um, and she's being celebrated for that amazing work. Um, Erica Allen, um, Urban Growers Collective, has been pushing for a couple decades now on helping um, urban gardening, understanding our um, um, footprint, um, teaching kids about food. And I think that's really important. Sharita Ellens at Women Employed. Um, Women Employed is a, a partner organization with CFW um, very often. And they have been working to make sure that women have equitable workplace um, practices um, just as we do. And so we're so proud about that. And then um, someone you may know, Natalie Moore. Um, two years ago, we started a new award category for people who are storytellers and they're lifting the stories of women. And this year, Natalie is being honored for the work that she did on uh, abortion access um, and the play that she um, wrote and produced. And so we're really excited. And that's March 29th at the Harold Washington Library Center, and people can find more information at cfw.org. Yes, and I, I don't mind uh, saying that uh, I am a fan of uh, Natalie Moore, who admittedly works for a competing station, and that's competing quite well these days, uh, WBEZ, but uh, she is one of a kind. Uh, let's talk about some of the areas that you are working in, and the first is uh, economic security, because that brings us back to something we were talking about the last time you and I spoke, and that's uh, how the she-covery is going. Um, has lifting women up and focusing on the roles that they played in the nation's recovery from COVID made any difference? Um, yes and no. I mean, we know, so at the start of the pandemic, women, there were more women in the workplace than men. So women, total participation outpaced men. Because of COVID, 4 million women dropped out of the workforce. Many of those women have not sought to come back. So the numbers tend to get a little skewed. So as employment numbers come out, we always have to remember that once people have stopped looking for a certain amount of time, they're no longer counted. And so there is an undercount. And part of the reason why, um, you know, upwards of a million women, closer to two million women maybe, um, haven't returned to the workforce is because we haven't really solved our childcare issue. Um, caregiving overwhelmingly uh, it overwhelms women. I will say that our society depends on this vital care, which is um, uh, the onus of which often falls to women in our community. And so because, you know, there was a little bit of a backlash, I think, when President Biden said childcare was essential infrastructure, which from my position it is, not just for families, but also for the children. Early learning, there's a huge word divide between um, um, poor children and um, children from more affluent communities. Early learning helps to decrease that. It helps to increase um, educational attainment for those young people. And so with the recovery and our pillars about getting women back to work um, and caring for our caregivers um, being two parts of that, you know, I would say the, the scorecard is, is mixed. The other measure that I will say, and because it's March, um, March is usually the time when you talk about equal pay for women. 
And March 14th is the day this year that was celebrated um, as Equal Pay Day. And I want to just break that down. And despite recent progress, women are still paid less than men and the pay gap worsens for women as we as we age. And so on March 14th, the celebrated Equal Pay Day, and that was the day that basically white women have earned the same amount of money as white men for um, a pro the prior year's work. But you can't, and that's, that's, you know, 82 cents. You can't argue that that's the number. I'm going to tell you what the number really is for women. Um, Black Women's Equal Pay Day happens July 27th, and Black women working full-time are paid 67 cents on the dollar for every dollar that a man has earned. This is for same work. Um, working mothers, that date is August 15th, so working moms make about 74 cents on the dollars. Um, Latina, Hispanic women working full-time are paid 57 cents on the dollar, and Native women are also paid 54 cents on the dollar. So we are, and that comes in November. So they nearly have to work two full years to earn the same amount as a white man for the same work. That 54 cent is what we're solving for until, you know, there's a quote by Audre Lorde that says, you know, I am not free unless all my sisters are free, even if her shackles are different from my own. The 54 cents is what we should all be trying to solve. This is the, a, a rising tide lifts all boats. We're not trying to close the gap between 82 cents and the dollar. We're trying to close the gap between that 54 cents and the dollar. So we still have a lot of work to do. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Felicia Davis Blakely, president and CEO of the Chicago Foundation for Women. Uh, let's move on to another pillar of uh, the foundation's activity, and that is ensuring freedom from violence. Uh, street crime, sexual assault, all things like that are still major issues and even central to this mayoral campaign. But the solutions still seem quite elusive. Uh, are, are you seeing anything on the horizon that either gives you hope or or dread? Uh, you know, obviously this election provides an opportunity to, um, and CFW has been part of coalition, uh, Chicago Women Take Action. We've hosted two mayoral reform uh, forums, um, one before, before the runoff for the general election and one since um, with the two remaining candidates. And what I will say that it does afford us the opportunity to put these issues front and center before those candidates. Now we've been here before um, because four years ago when um, um, during the last election, the issue of missing and murdered black women on the South and West sides of Chicago was front and center, or as I say, it should have been front and center. And, and with that issue, there's also a companion issue of trans um, people, mostly trans women, also being um, brutalized and or um, murdered. So these were crimes against women. Um, there hasn't been much progress made, and that was four years ago, on this very important issue. CFW continues to do special grant making in this area, but we really do need to have a comprehensive approach to women's safety. We really do need to um, hold people accountable. I mean, you know this, and I think people who've, who've heard me before know, I spent 10 years in the Chicago Police Department. Eight of those years, I investigated violent-related offenses, violent crimes, and mostly sexual-related offenses against people. Overwhelmingly, my survivors, um, the people I was working with were women. And so 
This city has a lot of work to do to make sure that women are safe. I mean, from things that seem innocuous, like catcalling young girls or women on the street. And I guess to some men, they see that as something fun um, to do. But for women, as we walk down the street, there's so many dangers that we are always trying to figure out, you know, is this person just going to whistle or is this person going to whistle and try to grab me? Is this person going to whistle and try to grab me and to hurt me? And, and so we're always trying to figure out our safety. We're always planning for it. And so I think a big awareness point needs to go to men because it's often their behaviors that put us at risk. And so the city has a lot of work to do in this area. I'm hopeful whoever the new mayor is um, will take, um, you know, will take, um, you know, a new, put a new light on this issue and work with advocates like my, like CFW and others to really come up with some comprehensive changes. Um, domestic violence is also a major concern. Are you seeing any um, progress on that horizon? You know, because um, what we saw during the pandemic, you know, just in Illinois, but also across the country, um, domestic violence calls in Illinois spiked 30% or more um, at different points during the pandemic. And, and that's significant. The challenge is that when there are economic pressures and there still remain economic pressures with the, the recession or not recession, um, but whatever is happening in the financial sector is also impacting families. And in those moments of stress, it creates crises for families. Um, and so that number hasn't reduced. It has, so we need to really address that. We need to try to think about what are some of the ways that we can address responses to make them, um, because I'm sensitive to the fact that uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, police officer, young police officer was killed responding to a domestic violence call. And I will say, and people don't understand this often, domestic violence calls are some of the most um they're the scariest calls to go on as an officer because the setting is so volatile. You do not know what you're walking into all, all, um, all the time. And by the time that someone calls 911, things are usually pretty tenuous in that household or in that house or home. So um, there is a lot of work that needs to be done there. But I also think what we should start um, a little bit on the education side and, and school. Um, we need to, the part of the reason why gender-based violence exists is that there still is this implicit bias against women. And there is this um, implicit belief that women need to be controlled. Um, so we need to spec, we need to train um, and teach young people respect, mutual respect for all genders as early as we possibly can. I do think that that's the only way that we're going to see this type of violence. It is violence. Um, start to diminish, and we need to hold people accountable for that violence in our communities. Um, in the context of families, in the context of communities, there's a lot of positive peer pressure that families can do to um, make the perpetrator of domestic violence rethink their actions um, and to hold them accountable. I want to move on to uh, the, the other pillar, access to health services because let's face it, the big news over the last year was in reproductive health, uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned. Uh, Pro-choice advocates in Illinois are moving to protect the legality of abortions here, but there are court fights mounting uh, from the pro-life side. Um, 
what are what what's your feeling about what we're traveling through right now? Yeah, there, you know, just that one issue is so important. So health overall is, you know, vast, right? I mean, we still have, um, we, CFW has been doing funding for years on the disparity between breast cancer survival rates for Black women and women of color and and, and white women. And so through partnership with um, Equal Hope, um, those numbers have started to go down. So you can see progress made when there's research and there is um their resources invested in an issue. On the reproduct the full span of reproductive health services, the dichotomy there is as people in other places, and we have this conversation about maybe forcing people to deliver babies that may not be health advisable for their health and other reasons. I'm also confronted with the statistics around um, maternal health. And in this state of in the state of Illinois, and actually across the country, there are similar numbers. Uh, the CDC has raised this as an issue as well, that or, and the um, Black maternal health outcomes are really lagging. So in Illinois, Black women is six times more likely to die from childbirth or childbirth-related complications. Now pair that with if you're first forcing a woman to also carry a baby to term that may, be, may not be advised because of healthcare reasons. There's so much to be... Um, address there and so much to really um, and truly unpack. And so for our part at CFW, we will always stand on the side of women having access to the full range of reproductive care services. We are a partner with lots of organizations across the state. We applaud the governor for, you know, when he signed the Reproductive Health Act, and we applaud um, the legislators who are pushing to make sure that that protection is codified. This, you know, I believe that women are entitled to bodily autonomy. I am dismayed that that's not, um, you know, codified in our United in, in, in our Constitution. That a woman has um, the right to the integrity of her own body and make her own decisions. And so, I'm happy to be in Illinois, where activists and others um, have come together, and and really the public, because the polling on this is pretty significant as well. Most people believe that women should have access to this as a matter of right. Um, and so I'm excited about the work ahead. Um, and we will continue to invest in this area and to push policy wherever we can. How concerned are you that, that the political polarization over this issue uh, doesn't seem to subside, even if, you know, let's face it, Illinois is Illinois and will be its, uh, its own entity, but the states around us are completely different. You know, I think this um, this is really linked, Craig, to what I said earlier about there being a war on women. Um, it doesn't make, it, other than trying to control women, um, there's no other reason for some of these really draconian laws. They are death sentences for women. You know, their pregnancy is complicated. I have, you know, I have five children. Um, I've had a lot of complicated pregnancies um, in my own um, past. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of points that are touch and go that can be touch and go for moms. One of those is ectopic pregnancies that happen that are dangerous, that are not even viable pregnancies. And to say that even that pregnancy where the mother's life is certainly at, at, at risk 100% of the time, um, to say that that's not allowed either just tells should tell every person 
who's paying attention objectively that this is not about health. This is actually, um, it's not about, you know, saving women um, or women's life. This is about control. Um, with only about a minute or so left, uh, I did want to get you to at least highlight, not only do you award women who are leading, but you are trying to, uh, to, to build them too. Uh, you're, you're nurturing future leaders. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So one of the programs I'm excited to talk about is Lily's Warriors, uh, Reverend Lily Barrow. Um, Chicagoan was a giant in civil rights. She felt very strongly that Black women's leadership needed to um, be nurtured and supported. And she didn't see that happening in a lot of spaces. So from a legacy gift from her estate, we started Lily's Warriors Leadership Development Program for Black women leaders. There are 21 amazing leaders in the program this, this year. Um, Reverend Barrow will be 100 in 2024. And so by that point, we will have 100 women leaders who are all Willie's Warriors. And so we're really excited about that. And so if people are interested in applying or learning more, they could also go to cfw.org and look for Willie's Warriors. Well, and uh, we will uh, hope to meet some of those, not just on the award stage, but uh, out in the neighborhoods. I would like to thank Felicia Davis Blakely, who leads the Chicago Foundation for Women for spending this time with us. I am glad we do this sort of every year. Yes, and, this is uh, a standing date. <laughs> yeah, and we'll 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 do it again. Uh, to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcasts on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening until then. I'm Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 